Every Christian has an equal inheritance. All of us. Our inheritances among each other is equal. Doesn't mean it's manifesting. Doesn't mean it's there, right? But your destiny is different. Your calling is different. So what does inheritance look like? And your inheritance looks like, well, your inheritance is in his name. So, okay, we all, we all claim the name of Jesus, do we not? And in Christ we are saved. So what is the inheritance that comes through the name of Jesus? Salvation. But there's other names that God has given us a broader context of his names. He's given us a name like Jehovah Rapha, which means in healing. Healing is the, is the believer's inheritance. Every believer it's yours. It's been given to you. You have to activate it. You have to enter into it and things like that. Destiny has to be activated. And, or excuse me, inheritance has to be activated. Destiny and promises must be pursued. Right? We have to pursue and align with promises and destiny. Let's take another one. Uh, Jehovah Rapha. Every believer is promised provision. Did you know that? It's sustaining provision. Survival. So you don't have to worry if you're going to make it. You're going to make it after all. You're gonna make it after all. Anybody know Mary Tyler Moore? Am I dating myself here? Way back, man. Dude, you're old. Everybody in their 20s is going, Mary Tyler Moore? Who's that? Well, Mary Tyler Moore? What's this guy talking about? <laughs> you're gonna make it, Christian. God's guaranteed you survival. You're gonna make it. It's, that's the promise of every believer, but success and significance are related to our destiny. Success and significance are related to our pursuit of the higher things. So all you got to do is, Lord, provide for me. He's going to take care of you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? But when we pray for provision, provision comes. But oftentimes when provision comes, it's not that next level, is it? He meets your need. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's meeting your need. So, but there's a next level to that. So we're just playing off his name. So the inheritance is where he meets your need. Inheritance is where he gets you what he has promised to give you that belongs to you. You can be completely shot out and completely screwed up and you call upon the Lord and he will meet you at the level of your inheritance because it belongs to you. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads you through the, uh, uh, the valley of the shadow of death. If he, leads, he will lead you. He will guide you. He will take you. That's where the Lord is your shepherd. So you don't have to worry about wisdom. It's yours. You don't have to worry about counsel. It's yours. All you got to do is ask, and God will show it to you because it belongs to you. You don't have to beg. Oh, God, if you're in a good mood, oh, if you feel like it, if I've done the right thing this week, Lord, give me wisdom. Wrong answer. That's the inheritance of the believer. Destiny and calling are different. Protection. Lord prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Jehovah Shema. The Lord will protect you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It looks like you're about to be destroyed, and you don't get destroyed. You overcome, right? You make it through. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody here? Right? It looks like it's bad, but you get through it because God has promised to deliver you. God has promised to protect you. It's your inheritance. All of us are equal in that regard. Jehovah Shema, which what is Shema? That means his presence. Every believer has access to the fullness of the presence of God and the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean we activate it. I told first service, so, so somebody give me a cool car. I want like a really expensive sports car. Maserati. Maserati. Top-of-the-line Mozzie, right? This is what it looks like. Jesus has given you a top-of-the-line Mozzie, and he's thrown you the keys, but you don't know how to turn it on. That's the problem. Your inheritance has been given to you, but most Christians don't know how to activate it. It's equal. Your, your inheritance has nothing to do with you. It's the benefit package of the kingdom. It's your inheritance. It belongs to you, right? Now, I didn't say that's destiny. I didn't say that's purpose. Destiny and purpose come in at another level. And this is where Peter is kind of calling us towards. So as a believer, as a Christian, you can be, like I said, shot out, drug out, the whole thing. You can have been dragged behind a bus the night before. You can completely have blown your life up. You can have burned your life down to the ground. And you can call on the Lord, and he's going to show up, and he's going to help you. And he'll give you beauty for ashes. Jesus doesn't bring, come to you with correction. Who told you that? He comes to you with help. He may come to you with wisdom. He may come to you and say, Kevin, are you tired of burning your life down to the ground? You know, I got a better way, you know, just let me know. <laughs> if you're interested, I can help you. But if you want to keep burning it down and you want to live at the level of survival, that, well, that's your inheritance. But if you want to move to a level of destiny, well, that requires some things from you. So there are things that are available to us, life and godliness. Everything you need for life is provided for you in the heavenly places, Ephesians says. And Peter says, in the promises. So life and godliness. Everything you need to be, to, to be a believer, everything you need to live and to exist. 
The communal relationship with the Lord is paramount. You can't do it without him, and he's not going to do it without. He's not going to do it for you, and you're not going to do it without him. It's just the way it works. God, will, God, it's always a partnership. God doesn't do what you do not partner with. He won't, at, he won't do what you don't ask for, right? There's always a partnership. Miracle power all through the scripture relates to partnership. Moses put, put a stick out over the water, right? Deliverance came. What did God say to Moses? What do you got in your hand? He's like, a stick. It was a staff, but, you know, stick. So what do you got in your hand? Moses had to take what he had in his hand and offer it to the Lord. He had to partner with it. Lazarus, great miracle there, the resurrection of the dead, right? What did Jesus tell him before he called Lazarus out? Anybody know? He told him to what? Roll the stone away. My question is always, the one who can raise the dead, he, he, he can't roll the stone away. Jesus could have snapped his fingers and the stone would have disappeared. He could have willed it and the stone would have disappeared. But he required partnership. And so the miracle requires partnership. He had to roll away the stone, right? See the feeding of the 5,000, see the same thing. The one who fed millions in the wilderness with the calling down of manna from heaven can't feed 5,000 people in front of him by himself. Of course he can. But he's reinstituting the understanding of partnership. It's always been that way from the beginning. So he said, what do you got? We got loaves and fishes, but what are they before so many? He multiplied them and he fed them. So if you understand that miracle power becomes, comes through partnership, inheritance comes through partnership and activation. You have to know who you are. You want to activate your inheritance, you're not going to get there if you're a victim. You're only going to get there if you're a son or a daughter. It is mine by right of inheritance. Today I take my rightful place as a son of the highest and I lay claim to my birthright. I lay claim to my inheritance. I call forth what belongs to me. And the Lord looks at you and goes, that's my boy. He looks at you and said, that's my girl. We don't want to impose upon the Lord. Do you have any idea what we're doing? You know, it's like crazy who we are to him. And so what happens is, is so God has given us life and godliness. We have, we have uh, an environment or we have an inheritance. Most believers never get inheritance. The inheritance belongs to them, but they never activate it. The inheritance belongs to them, but they never step into it. Would you, should you, could you? That's how we play it. Well, if it was God's will, if it was God's will for me to be healed, I'd have been healed. You know, well, have you gone to the prayer line? Did you call for the elders of the church? Have you done anything that the Bible suggests you do? Have you done any of that? Right? So it's like, oh, you know, we, we, we kind of look at this thing and we say, oh, well, if God wanted to provide for me, God didn't want to provide for me. You know, he's going to provide for you. God, if God just wanted me to be, be more, have more financial wealth or more uh, emotional well-being, he would have taken care of it. But all I'm just going to get by, I'm just going to get by. And that's all you ever will do is get by. That's your inheritance. God's going to take care of you. You're going to make it. That's, that's what he has obligated himself to do is to sustain you. And he calls you higher up the mountain if you want to go. But you got to want to go. A lot of, listen, you don't want, this is what kingdom looks like, right? So we have kingdom, the king's dominion, the manifestation of the dominion and ruling reigningship of Christ in our lives. If you don't want kingdom, you don't want dominion ministry in your life, don't worry. You'll, be, you'll have a lot of company. Sad reality is the majority of Christians don't want kingdom. They don't want dominion because there's a price to be paid. What's the price? You have to do what he says. You have to act and do as he says. So there's a difference. It's important to understand that you have an inheritance. And in that, all believers are equal. But not all believers are equal. And can you drink of the cup, Jesus said. He offered it to the ones that wanted to go higher. Abraham told the, God, the servants that couldn't go any higher. He said, stay behind in the asses. Stay behind in the valley with the asses. <laughs> the lad and I go to the mountain to worship. There are people that don't want to go higher. And they stay behind in the valley with the stubborn, with the mules, because they don't want to go higher. It's okay, you know? Tribe of Reuben and Massa, they didn't want to cross the river. Half of them didn't. It's all right. Stay there. Stay there. Then you got Caleb's, who say, give me what my father has promised me, right? Well, who are you? Where's your faith? You cannot blame God for what you don't. What, so, like, what happens is we, we blame God for our inability to manifest the kingdom, and we create doctrines within our churches and teachings within our churches that justify and give us a good excuse to be cowards. Well, if God wanted it to happen, it would happen. Dude, get out of the boat, you know? So what, what virtue is about, it's about creating an ecosystem for the kingdom to come forth. And part of that ecosystem, one of the virtues is courage, right? So God, I've met many people like this over the years that have told me, God has called me to be an evangelist to the nations. 
I'm just waiting on the calling. I know I'm called. I'm just waiting on the opportunity. I'm like, get out of the boat, Jim. You will not manifest kingdom without the ecosystem of virtue. And part of the ecosystem of virtue is courage. Courage, honor, courage, justice. Those are three of the virtues that we, what, what virtue is, is creating an ecosystem within your life in order for the kingdom to manifest. Is that in the Bible? Absolutely. God's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the promises. So the promises are different than your inheritance. That's, no, that's another story. And through these, we draw from his divine nature. So we experience the divine nature of God through the promises. Right? So that's, that's what happens. Given it shall be given back to you. Well, let's use an even simpler one that we can all identify with. Call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. You begin to call upon the Lord. You begin to call upon the Lord. He shows you great and mighty things. He shows you a way that where there was no way. He shows you an out. He gives you wisdom. He gives you insight. And you're like, wow, I didn't know what I was going to do. And the Lord showed me. You just experience the divine nature of God because the divine nature of God is goodness. You just experience. So from the promises, we draw from his divine nature or we experience his nature. Lay hands on the sick and they recover. People get healed. They experience the goodness of God. I don't believe in healing. Well, I've introduced you about 15, at least, people that have been healed here. Try to tell them God doesn't heal. You're too late. <laughs> you're too late. You tried to should have convinced them before because you're too late. They've experienced it. They've encountered it. It's real to them. That's the big idea. So we get from the promises we draw from his nature. And so here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, this is who the Lord is. This is what he's given to us. And he's saying he's given us promises. And then he tells the church, you have faith, right? They're like, yeah, God's given us promises. I believe it. Yes, I believe it. But he says something. For this reason, because God has given these promises, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue knowledge. In other words, he says, you believe in the promises, that's awesome. But you need to create an ecosystem and an environment in your life in which those promises can manifest. Sometimes meeting the condition of the promises is one thing, but creating an ecosystem where those promises will manifest is an entirely different thing. So it's like somebody says, like I knew a guy, he's like, oh, God's called me to write four books. God's called me to write four books. And he never wrote a chapter. He doesn't even have a title. And I see him three years later and he's still done nothing. Did God not speak to him? Well, 100% God spoke to him. Like God told you to write books. I'm in, brother. I believe it. Two years later, God's called me to write four books. I'm like, you got a chapter? You got a title? Have you written a line? Did you, did, you got paper? Did you get a notebook? Did you buy a pack of pens? Have you done anything here? You know, you got, you know, keyboard? I mean, I don't know. What are you doing? So he has a calling, but because he doesn't have the ecosystem, here's the, I would even put honor on this, because he doesn't have the ecosystem to honor the word that the Lord gave him, and by honoring the word that he, the Lord gave him, stepping out into that world, into that word with courage. Those are two elements of the ecosystem, right? And without using that ecosystem and creating that ecosystem, doesn't matter what God says, it's not coming. God's going to do what God's going to do. No, he's not. No, he's not. This is a lie. This is a lie. This is a lie that's perpetrated upon the belief by very well-meaning, non-powered Christians. There's a group of Christians, and they're, they're theological giants. They have a lot of wonderful things about doctrine, but they create the doctrine of powerlessness. They don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they've infiltrated even charismatic churches with this thinking that God is the sovereignty of God. They're going to go, oh, are you saying God's not sovereign? God's 100% sovereign. 100%. I want you to say this. In his sovereignty... He has delegated authority. That's right. In his sovereignty, all power in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, you go. I got it all, Jesus said. I am not only ruler of all things. I am now, I have now attained and encountered and have paid the price to reconcile all things unto myself. I possess it all. There is no higher being or answer or anybody word above mine. I have it. I'm giving it to you. Go. That's, that's, the, that's the idea. There are things that God does not sovereignly give us. He's given you, well, one of the things he sovereignly gives us, this is something we can identify with, is he's given us spiritual authority. Anybody ever heard that one? You have spiritual authority, right? Spiritual authority doesn't mean anything unless you use it, right? My father was a cop, right? My dad could be sitting on a street corner and he could watch people running red lights. He wasn't a traffic cop. He was a different kind of cop. But anyway, he could be a traffic cop today. And so the people would be running red lights all day long. My dad could be sitting on a corner, 
eating a donut, whatever they do, I don't know, whatever your paradigm is of police officers, you know, he could be <laughs> drinking a coffee, you know, talking to his friend, and everybody's running through red lights, right? Everybody's running through red lights, and somebody's like, well, why don't, why, you know, why don't people stop? Because the authority that is sitting on that corner is not being enforced. You have spiritual authority, and until you begin to enforce the spiritual authority, it will not, nothing's going to change. And so people go, well, God, it was God's will that I lost my business. It was God's will that I lost my marriage. It's God's will that my children are on drugs. This is the nonsense we believe. This is the stupidity that we believe. Everything is a sovereign act of God. And I say, then why do we put guardrails up on, on the highway? If it's a sovereign act of God for somebody to cross the guardrail and hit me head on, then why are we trying to stop a sovereign act of God? Not everything is a sovereign act of God, Christian. It just isn't. It isn't. You've been delegated with authority. You've been delegated with power. You've been given an inheritance, and you are expected to learn how to use it. That's what he expects. We don't know what we're doing. Oh, well, that's the, isn't that the key? That's why we have the Holy Spirit. He leads us into all truth, right? Holy Spirit's job is to show us, to teach us. That's a whole other conversation. There's a whole other conversation. Where does God hold his authority? Where does God not surrender sovereignty? Is there any area? Yeah, it's important that I say this because somebody's going to go, Kevin said that there's no, God's not sovereign. I did not say that. I did not. I said he's all sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he has given us authority. He's given it to you. You are, we are the, are we, we are the what? The what of Christ? The b, b, come on, body, right? Right? It's okay. The head wants a sandwich. But the body won't get up and get a sandwich. Is the body, is the head going to get the sandwich if the body won't get up and go make a sandwich? No, but the head wants the sandwich. Jesus wants certain things, but the body won't participate. And we just go, well, it's all God's sovereignty. If God wanted to reach those people in Dominican Republic or Haiti or whatever, he would do it. He would do it. That's nah, not, that's not, that's how we think. We think, we think in these stupid terms. We don't understand how this kingdom works. Where does he retain sovereignty? He retains sovereignty, the biggest area, where there's two primary areas. One is righteousness. Righteousness is what is right to God. The church, the culture, the government doesn't, God has never given any institution or any people group the right to say what is right and wrong. You understand that? What is right, Jesus is still the one who determines what is right and what is wrong? The modern church needs to hear this. Jesus is the, still the only one who determines what is right and what is wrong. We have a culture of churches that are coming up and thinking that they need to reinvent and they get to determine what is right and what is wrong. You don't get to vote. You don't get to make Jesus more relevant in the culture by dumbing down the things that he said. You don't get to do that. He still holds the right of sovereignty over righteousness. You understand? He doesn't vacate that. He hasn't surrendered it. We don't get the vote. Let's have a church council. I think we should remove sin from the church and we should never use the word sin. All in favor? The modern pastors by majority would say, I. I think we should remove hell from the church. We should never use the word hell. Watch this, watch this. Sin and hell. Let me say it one more time and I'll probably say it more than most churches will say it in the entire year. Sin and hell. What are we saved from? Yeah, we're saved from sin and we're saved from condemnation. Jesus isn't a life coach. He's not Tony Robbins. He's not. He, he's a savior. And he saves us from what? Sin and condemnation. When the spirit of God comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The whole job when the church doesn't preach sin, righteousness, and judgment, we circumvent I'm not saying every single week's got to be sin, righteousness, and judgment. But if we don't have that conversation at all, or we don't do teaching on that at all, we completely circumvent the power of the Holy Spirit in the culture. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the non-believer that you're a sinner. Righteousness. You're not right to God. And if you don't get right to God through Jesus, you will be judged. That's what sin, righteousness, and judgment means. It's inconvenient. Oh, I don't like that. It makes me feel uncomfortable, Kevin. You know, I feel uncomfortable when you talk like that. You know, inconvenient truth. It's not about your comfort, it's about your character. Right? We're saved from sin. We're saved from eternal condemnation. It's just the way it is. I didn't write the book, man. You know, it's the way it is. We want to we try to take that. So God's sovereignty exists in the realm of righteousness. 
God's sovereignty exists in the realm of when he's coming back. Jesus is coming, man. He's coming. Yeah, soon, right? We don't get to vote. We don't get to vote. We don't get to decide, well, I don't think he should come back. I think he should wait. We, don't get to, we also don't get to vote on when he comes back, right? It would be great. I said first service, it'd be great, Lord, if he came back on my birthday, you know? All my friends are gathered around, and I was like, hey, guys, Jesus is coming today. And as soon as I blew out the candles, he blew the shofar, and we all got raptured. Wouldn't that be awesome? But we don't get to do that. <laughs> we don't get to do that. The times and the seasons are in the hands of the Father, appointed by the Father. So he's sovereign over this. We don't get to determine it. The, the fate of the creation, the world, will not follow the way, any way. That, listen, the pandemic is not ending the world, Chris. I know somebody out there is going to whack me with this because that every time I say it, like, are there going to be trials? Are there going to be difficulties? Yes, but the world's not ending by a pandemic. It's, it just isn't. The world's not ending by an environmental disaster. That's another thing. The world's going to end through an environment. The Bible doesn't say that either. How's the world going to end? Exactly as he says. Exactly. I'm not saying there's not problems. I'm not saying there's not distresses. I'm not saying the Bible says there's going to be distresses of nations. And it's going to say there's going to be problems that countries can't solve. That's all, or problems that nations can't solve. They won't know. Yeah? But Jesus is coming at the time, the season, and in the manner that he said. You know, and, and that's really, we, we need to be okay with that. All of the stuff going on in the world, these are not the sign. This is the sign of the end. No, it's not. No, it's not. Are we in the last days? Absolutely. Absolutely. I could get on, I'm going to go down, I'm going to start doing end times teaching here, but I, I, so I got to rein myself in. We're not looking for those things. We're not, we're not supposed, like the last people in the world, and now I'm going to say, this got me in a lot of trouble. Okay, this got me in a lot of trouble. Okay, so I'm going to say it again. Just say the pastor's digging himself a hole. Don't worry, pastor, I got a rope. I'll help you out of it. Just come on and help me out, right? right? Like, we should not be the ones in, I, I, I get it. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of things going on, but we should not be in fear. We should not be in fear, you know? We, we just shouldn't. We have Jesus, you know? And people, even, even the, the world around us that's, that's freaking out, we should just go, look, I don't know what's happening, man, but I know Jesus is Lord. And I know no matter what happens, I win. So where are you? You know, we win. doesn't matter. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If you win, you win. If you lose, guess what? You still win, right? All the losers get a crown. Happy day. <laughs> right? It's the only one that gives out crowns to losers. You lose? Oh, that's all right. You still get a crown. Yeah, no, God, Jesus gets a crown. You lost? That's all right. You get heaven. All right, now some of you are already hating me. I want you everybody to say this collectively. I want everybody to say, ouch. There we go. We got that out of the way. Got it out of the way, so if I step on any more toes, you can just already got that out of your system, right? <laughs> so we're talking about honor, and so he's saying, add to your faith. So the, he's telling this church, he's, he's saying, listen, you guys have faith. You're believing for the promise, but you need to create an ecosystem in which manifests these promises. Add to your faith virtue. Honor is one of them. Honor is a meta theme. It's a meta theme. Honor is to esteem value and worth upon another. That's what it means. Honor is intentional, and honor is attentional. Honor's not about you. In other words, as we honor another person, it's not honor as I perceive it. It's honor as the Lord perceives it. So we are to see as he sees, right? So let's just play marriage. Let's play a marriage game. I'm to love and honor my wife, not because I see her as lovable and honoring, honorable. Because wives are not always lovable and honorable, okay? I am to love and honor her. This is what, this is what causes marriages to fall apart because we refuse to see it from God's perspective. We love and honor her. I love and honor her because God sees her as valuable. I am to see her with value and worth based upon what the Lord says about her, not what I think. And it's the same way with husbands. You know, ladies, you're to see and perceive that man in light of how God sees him. Value and worth. We're actually supposed to call out destiny with each other. This is how it works. We start calling out destiny calling out destiny women are going to really well like okay you're so beautiful you're just a lovely daughter of god you know i just want to tell you that the lord just showed me what really beautiful things about you and i'm so grateful and i want to tell you that i'm sorry for uh taking you for granted i want to tell you that i i appreciate you what do you appreciate i appreciate all of the loving things that you do i appreciate your kindness i appreciate your generosity i appreciate the fact that you're my friend da, 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 da. say stuff like that because the Lord will tell you who she is to you. Who is she to me? She's your friend, Kevin. 
Do you have a better friend than Sherry? Um, no, I don't really have a better friend than Sherry. Then honor her as your friend. She's an encourager to you. Do you have a better friend? You, you know, it's like, yeah, we got to set the negative aside. Honor does not see the problems. Honor sees the worth. You get me? I'm going to say this. You're not a genius if you find coal in a gold mine. Or if you find dirt in a gold mine, you're not a genius. Right? It doesn't take a genius to find dirt in a gold mine. The genius is in finding the gold in the gold mine. You understand that? So if you want to look at things that are wrong with each other, you're not a genius for figuring that out. You won't have to look far. Where the genius is, is finding the gold in the other. Finding and extracting that and placing honor and value upon that. You understand? You see your husband. You, see, you, see, you look at him and you say, hey, you know, like this guy this and this guy that. He's leaving his t-shirt on the floor. He's leaving <laughs> Sherry, do you know how many women would love to have a husband? Sherry, do you know how many women would love to have a godly husband? Sherry, do you know how many women would love to blah, 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 blah? So I want you to look past his t-shirts on the floor. Because I'm going to wear it the next day. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> why are your t-shirts on the floor? Because there I know, it, I know it's there. I know it's right there. I know where it is. I just pick it up. I smell it. And I go, yeah, I can wear that again. I'm good. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I do my best. But he, he will tell things like that. And so she finds the honor within me. She sees the honor within me. And she begins to honor the enemy. She begins to see the virtue and call out the virtue. And this is how we change. We change by virtue. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance or change. It's through kindness. God, here's what happens. This is how God works with us. You get born again. He sees you and calls you what you are not long before you get there. Rudy, he says to you, you're a son. And you go, really? I don't look like a son. I don't feel like a son. I don't act like a son, but it doesn't matter. The Lord honors you as his son. He calls you what you are not long before you get there. He calls what is not as though it was. And he calls you. And he begins to call out the destiny or the, or the good in you. And what ends up happening is if that is something that becomes a repetitive cycle, you begin to move into that. We respond not to criticisms, believe me. You know, believe me, I'm guilty of it too. I do it. I'm just trying to give you the principles of honor so we can begin to train ourselves in what honor actually looks like. It's honor and worth, not as I see it. I'll honor him when he's honorable. Well, it's never going to happen. I'll honor her when she's honorable. It's never going to happen. I'll honor my boss when he's honorable. It's never going to happen. It's not about your perception or your opinion. The only one who establishes value and worth is Jesus. This is extremely important. Because everything begins with value and worth. Everything begins with identity. If you're going to get something out of this church, you're going to get identity. Identity. Not identity in a game. We all these little prissy games that we play. We're going to talk about the depth of identity and what our responsibility is in that identity. The one who establishes your identity is Jesus. He sees us. He see, he, we need, the first person we need to learn to honor is ourselves. Is that biblical? So honor is not about you, but honor begins with you. You say honor begins with the Lord, of course. We've already covered that the last two weeks, but if you're going to honor others, you have to learn to honor yourself. Where is that? Lord, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, love, and the second is the same. Love, love and honor are co uh, coincide. They're equal. Love is to establish, or excuse me, uh, honor is to establish value and worth. Love is to seek the highest good. Love in the Bible is not an emotion. It isn't. God so loved. God didn't have an emotional experience with the world, and that's why he came. It wasn't, oh, I just have this emotional experience and those poor people and, oh my gosh, I got to go down there and I got to do something. That wasn't what motivated him. It was the highest good. He looked at them and said, they can't save themselves. They're lost. What is the highest good? The highest good is for them to return to me. They don't have a way. So then the highest good is for someone to come as them. The highest good is for someone to pay a price that they cannot pay. That's what motivated him. It wasn't human need. Human need doesn't move heaven. You may as well get that out of your grid. Would you, could you, should you? Oh, God, don't you see my need? Don't you see my need? It will never move heaven. Human need is not the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. Let's say that. Human need is not the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. Oh, God, why are my kids on drugs? Oh, my Lord Jesus. Don't you see, God? Oh, Lord, look at my need. Wow. 
I'm a daughter of the highest. I'm a son of the highest. In the name of Jesus, I take my rightful place. And I say that my children shall be taught of the the Lord and great shall be the peace of my children. I loose the Holy Spirit into the lives of my children and I call them back. I call them unto you. I loose the angels of God to go forth in the name of Jesus. Minister unto my children as the heirs of salvation. And I put reclamation over their life and I summon them as daughters and sons of the kingdom. That's faith. You see the difference? You even feel it. It's a seismic shift, right? You're, you know, this is not my inheritance. So many times we, that's another story. I'm going to go off on another trip. I got to stay on these notes. <laughs> we receive things that are not our inheritance. That's not your inheritance. It's not your inheritance. The last time I used that in a dramatic way was with a woman here, Charmaine. She's got going to do full hysterectomy. It's been to three different people. She's got to go to the specialist. The specialist is going to look at her one more time because they're already determined she needs to have a full hysterectomy, blah, blah, blah. Right? Prayed for her a couple times. I'm not going to get into all the stories. But when she was telling me this, I said to her, I said, is that your inheritance? Losing your uterus, is that your inheritance? She said, no. I said, what's your inheritance? She said, my inheritance is healing in the name of Jesus. And I said, then we're going to press into your inheritance. You can make covenants with things that don't belong to you, or you can begin to make covenants with the things that are actually yours. The choice is yours. Most Christians, it's too lazy for us. We don't want, we, we lazy. Or the worst thing is it rattles our paradigm, right? Because we think on these natural planes. It, you have to press into something. You have to go higher. You have to see from his world. We began to pray. We didn't just pray, oh God, would you, should you, could you? We began to command. We began to take authority. Didn't you see somebody raised from the dead, Connie? Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking about this in the car, so it was really funny. You were like in your bathrobe or something, right? So somebody, her neighbor comes and knocks. Oh, my gosh, my mother's dying. My mother's dying. Connie's like, what do I do? What do I do? She runs over there in her bathrobe, probably in curlers, and she said, I just rebuked the spirit of death in the name of Jesus. And she sat up, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, come on. Come on. <laughs> you were just talking about that in the car. We were just, it was a funny story anyway. Sorry. Yeah, man, right? Yeah. Where's your faith, Christian? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Honor and esteem, value and worth, not as you see it, but as the Lord sees it. Begin to see yourself as Jesus sees you. Who who establishes your identity? Better yet, who do you allow to establish your identity? Who tells you who you are? You? Who tells you who you are? Your circumstances? Who tells you who you are? Your, your, Your past? Your mistakes? Who tells you who you are? Your family? Who do you allow to dictate to you your identity? Hmm? There's only one who has the right to determine your identity, and his name is Jesus. The only one. There's only one. And what you have to do is you have to make a determination in your heart that I will never again lower myself beneath the standard that my Father has set upon me. I will never again lower myself, nor will I allow another. I was in a room with a bunch of pastors having lunch, like six of us at the table, you know, eating eggs or whatever. Doing pastoral things, not really. We're just talking. We're like, whoa. One of the guys was like, well, we're just sinners saved by grace. You know, I don't even know what the conversation was. I'm like, not me. They're all like looking at me. I'm like, I'm a son of the highest. <laughs> I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. And they're like, well, Kevin, we're called to not think so highly of ourselves. Aren't you thinking a little lofty and a little highly? I said, I didn't, put, I didn't give myself that title. I didn't give myself royal priest, holy nation. I didn't give that to me. To them that, get, to them that received Christ, he gave the authority. That's what it means, that word power. The authoritative right to be called the sons of God. I have the authoritative right to be called the son of the highest based upon John 1. I have that right. You all sitting at the table, you all can be sinners saved by grace, and you can be friends of God and all that other stuff. I'm a son. You can be, well, we're servants of the Lord. I'm a son who serves. We're friends of God. I'm a son who's a friend of my father. Yeah. Sinner? That's long ago. Yeah, I heard something about that guy. He's dead. Yeah, he's gone, long gone. The Lord doesn't see you that way. You see yourself. You see yourself with a diminished value and worth, and you perceive yourself in a way that heaven does not dictate. Your worlds are not aligned. Therefore, you cannot manifest kingdom. One of the reasons you can't manifest kingdom is because you're misaligned. You're double-minded. The Lord says you're a son. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I didn't say your actions, say your actions don't always support your identity. Can we, get a, can we agree on that? We can see that with our children, right? That's your child, right? That's your, that's your son. That's your daughter. That 
is yours. But their actions do not always say that they are your child. <laughs> and their actions, you are not always in agreement with their actions. I remember being in a grocery store. My kids would be acting up. Not you, Mariah. You were always an angel. But I would be in the store, and then my kids would be acting up, and I'd be like, that's not my son. That's not my son. <laughs> Isn't that your son? No, I don't, no, that's not my son. <laughs> I never did that. But, you know, sometimes we feel like, you know, what? You know, where did you come from? That's not who I am. That's not what you, you know. So anyway, just because you're a son or a daughter, that your actions do not, always, do not always coincide with your identity, but your actions do not disqualify your identity. That's what's important. Your actions cannot and will not disqualify your identity. Who told you that? You're a son on your worst day. You're a daughter on your worst day. He loves you when you're against you. All of this other nonsense, that's, that's, that type of thinking creates the double-mindedness within the church. And what does the Bible say about double-mindedness? Those that think differently than the Lord, let them believe that they will receive nothing from him. Hmm? Jesus says this, you say that. You're getting nothing. Didn't say you're not a son. It's just that your belief system doesn't line up with heaven. There's a double-mindedness here. There's an inequality here. Jesus says, do this. You go, nah, I don't think that's a good idea. I think it's okay to do this. You're never going to manifest anything. Never going to happen. That's double-mindedness too. <laughs> just a thought. Who determines your identity and worth? Who do you allow? I, I, no one determines mine. I do not even determine mine. It is a small thing that I am judged by you, for I do not even rightly judge myself. The one who judges me is Jesus. That's a verse, right? The only one who has the right or the authority to judge me is me. I don't even get to say who I am. And what happens is, is that what, there has to be this paradigm shift. There has to almost be a polar shift inside some of you in order for you to come to that point and that conclusion. The Bible says if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. You don't know what I did. Jesus does. My heart just condemns me, Pastor. Well, God is greater than your heart and he knows everything. He knows all the details, good, bad, and ugly. He knows what you did and why you did it. And he still calls you daughter. He knows what you did and why you did it, and he still calls you son. That's the question. So we're supposed to seek the highest good from Jesus' perspective. So what does it look like? So this is what it looks like. So I'm supposed to honor myself. So what does it mean? First thing is seeing myself as Jesus sees me and accepting no substitutes. The second thing is, is loving myself or seeking the highest good from the Lord's perspective. Not from your perspective, from his perspective. And what happens is in a world culture, they say your highest good is to make money, live any way you want, work out, and have sex, and everything's going to be fine. That's the world's culture. That's what they tell you to do. Seek the highest good. This is your highest good. Go find it. Here's the church. Church says it's all about you. This is our modern church. We have a powerless generation, weak, feeble, anemic believers, because we teach them it's all about you. It's God as you understand him to be. It's Jesus, your big brother. God's going to be on your agenda. God's going to help you live your best life now. Get a vision because God's going to get on your vision. Where is that in the scripture? It doesn't, it's not in the scripture. God's not going to get on your vision unless your vision is in line with his. Nowhere in the scripture does he tell you he's getting on your vision. He commands you onto his. Seek first the what? The kingdom of God and what is right to him. Not what is right to you. Well, Jesus is just, he's just going to help you. He's going to give you everything that you need. And you just put that vision out before the Lord. And it doesn't matter what you do because God's for you. Really? That's not biblical. That's not contextual to the scripture. And I'm not saying people don't do it or whatever. Am I going to hell because I think like that? No, you're not going to hell. We're not talking about going to hell, at least not in this message. We're talking about manifesting the kingdom and the power of God in our lives. We have to get on God's agenda. God's got a bigger agenda than you, than you do. God's got a bigger vision for you than you do. We always want to say, here, Lord, bless my mess. Here's what I want. I want this relationship. I want money this way. I want all this other stuff. And in times, God doesn't have an issue with it. Here's what will happen. I'm going to tell you what the relationship looks like. That's how it works. There's a communal relationship that relates with the Lord. God will actually ask you questions. God will ask you actually ask you what you want. God will ask, actually ask you your opinion, but he will not ever ask you what you want, and he will never ever ask you what, you what your opinion as it relates to your future until you can do the first things. We have to begin to understand basic obedience, or God will, the Lord asks me all the time. Ask me all the time, what do you think, Kevin? What do you want to do here, Kevin? I'm like, what do you think? And he's like, what do you think? I'm like, well, here's my idea, and then he begins to commune with me over my idea. You say that happens all the time. 
I find that my idea is not good enough, but he always, he just wants to participate with me, you know? But he doesn't do that until I learn basic obedience. If I cannot operate with basic obedience, the communal relationship, as far as my future goes, doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. But you can have that. But most Christians want to determine the way that they honor the Lord. Most Christians want to determine the way that they relate to the Lord. They want to say what they want. I gave this statistic in first, first service. 15 years ago, the average church attendance by, by American Christians was three out of four Sundays. 15 years later, average church attendance by American Christians is 1.8. We don't even attend church 50% of the time, yet we're commanded to. <gasps> no, we're not. Yes, we are. Read your Bible, emphatic imperative, forsake not. That's a command. That's not a suggestion. He's not saying, hey, Kevin, if you can pry yourself out of bed this morning and you feel like it and your stomach's not upset from the orange juice that you drank and you can actually get in a car and make it to church, maybe you could do that. He's not suggesting it. He's commanding it. He's commanding it. You say, we don't have to. We get to. Yeah, I get that. Speaking of getting to, my cord is like pinching my neck. But nonetheless, but we, we can't even show up to church one out of eight. You know, you're saying 52 Sundays. I'm not saying 52 Sundays. We can't even make it half the time. And we wonder why our lives are train wrecks. Because we cannot even sit in the presence of our Father once a week. Try that with your boss. That's basically what he says. Tell your boss you're not showing up when I tell you to. Just tell him. He said, offer what you offer to me to the governors and see if they'll take it. Offer what you offer to me to your employers and see if they'll accept it. You give them what you feel like giving them. Here's your work assignment and you give them what you feel like and see if he accepts it. See if it happens. Won't happen. Yet that's exactly how we treat the Lord. We wonder why our lives are a wreck. Listen, you, I'm not telling you, I'm not putting any of this on you. The standard is the Lord's. I didn't write the book. I didn't write the book. But if you want to see how the church is culturally degraded, look no further than that one statistic. And there's other ones beyond that. We can't even show up to church half the time. We can't even make two Sundays a month. We can't even show up 26 times in a year. 365 days in a year, and we can't even show up before our Father 26 times. Let's just think about that. 50%, 52 weeks. No one's saying 52. How about 26? We can't even hit 26. And we wonder why our lives are a wreck. We wonder because you need this, Christian. He's not telling you to come here because he has some fixation with you that he has, to, he has to manifest. He's telling it because you need this. You need the worship experience. You need the teaching of the word of God in, its, in, in fullness. And you need the relationships one to the other. That's why he's telling you. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some. What he's telling you is you're not some. You're different than some. You're not that person. Just a challenge. That's really it. One of the things the Bible tells us in Habakkuk is it tells us to consider our ways. Say this with me. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. If no one ever challenges you, you are not changing. You will not change without a challenge. You will not. We have to be challenged. We have to understand. If I'm my son, why can't I go to my father's house like he asked me? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? You know, well, I don't like church. Man, you better like it because we're going to be together for a long time. You know, one of the things we have in America is we have an opportunity. We have like Heinz 57 churches. That's what we have. We have every flavor of church. You got no really, you got, you really don't have any excuses, but we are, have to come to the place where I don't, I would force myself at times. I would force myself when I was, I was assistant pastor, leaders in other ministries. I, I was there and I would make myself. And I would always tell myself, uh, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You want to know the literal interpretation? He said, I came running. Why? Because David knew where life was. Listen, life's not with Oprah Winfrey, people. Life is in his presence. Yeah. You ever go to the beach and you have a nice day at the beach, but it doesn't, just really doesn't satisfy you? Yet you leave church and you're just like, whoa. You got this afterglow. You're like, I hope this carries over into Monday, you know? I mean, it's like a bad day with Jesus is better than the greatest day the world will ever have. That's what he's telling you. It's not about an institution. It's because we are created for this. And if he's got to tell you, hey, listen, don't take this lightly. Get yourself together. Well, I don't know. No, you organize your week around it. You organize your calendar around it. Well, I don't agree. Well, then that's fine. That's fine. But don't, don't wonder why things are the way that they are. Read Isaiah 58. I challenge you guys. Read Isaiah 58. Read it. 
That whole chapter is a correction to God's people because they think everything's about them. The context of the chapter is that they're asking why. Why, Lord? Why do we fast and you don't see? Why do we call upon you and you don't hear us? And the Lord's like, oh, you're asking me? What's missing here, Lord? What are we not doing? What are we not offering you that you have prescribed? And the Lord said, you offered to me out of pretense and everything you do, you do for you. You call my Sabbath a burden. That's one of the things he says. Read it. Read it. You say coming before me is a chore. You come when you want. You say what you want. You go as you please. You make up your own mind. You do your own thing. And you wonder, you're asking me what's missing? That's the, read it. I dare you. Everything is self-consumption. That's what he tells them in there. Everything is about you. Your money is yours. Your time is yours. All of this. Read it. You're going to see, you would, if you were ever read that, you would see that as a consistent thread through the prophets. The people were always asking the Lord what the problem was. And every single time he told them, it's the neglect of me. And in particular, it was almost always the neglect of the corporate gathering. Almost always. You see it almost Almost in every book of the Old Testament, the people were rebuked and corrected for neglecting the corporate gathering. Rebuked and corrected. And Jesus wasn't showing up going, let me give you a message. Because he did, you know, he let them be. He let them be. Until they inquired of him, what's going on? And when they began to inquire of him, he's like, oh, you're asking me a question? I thought you guys knew everything. Oh, you don't? You actually don't know everything? So you're actually asking me what's going on? Well, I'm going to tell you what's going on. You're symbiotically bound to me. Your commitment to me and from me will determine the level of your life. It's not, listen, this isn't like, it's not about presence. It's about hearing this word because it's living and it's powerful and it's transformative and it cuts the soul and the body. It divides soul and spirit. The word of God is important. The atmosphere of the presence, there are things that are being transferred to you this morning that you can't get any other way. You just can't. There's mutual encouragement that we have from one another that you can't get just like bad pizza. Even if it's bad, it's still good, right? So I tell people, even if I lay an egg, don't worry. It'll still be somewhat good. Jesus is here, you know? We sing off tune. Doesn't matter. Holy Spirit's still here. We want kingdom, man. We want dominion. Because that's what we want. Blessed, and, blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for what is right to God. It's not righteousness, it's not about do this and don't do that. It's about what are you hungry for? I am hungry and I am thirsty for what is right to my Father. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is not right, what's right to you, what's right to a culture. Righteousness isn't don't smoke, drink, or chew or hang out with those that do. Righteousness is about what is right to God. Blessed are those whose hunger and thirst is for what is right to me. And what is right to him is that you come before me. Do you know why he wants you to perform? Because he wants to love you. Do you know why we do all these worshipful interactions? You know why we do that? What, you know, we don't do that because Kevin, Pastor Kevin wants to pray over you. He wants, I, I'm trying to give God a moment to where he can love on you. I'm trying to give God a moment because he wants to embrace you. It's right to him. He wants to, he wants to embrace you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to minister to you. We treat church like fast food. <laughs> or 4D, 4K, you know. It's an entertainment festival. It's, church is a ministry. That's, that's really what it is, it, or it's nothing at all. And we wonder why we, we're anemic. We wonder, we, we, we wonder why there's things missing. I mean, could it be that we got an issue? Just, just a thought, just a thought, just a thought. I challenge you. I challenge you. I challenge you. Make a 26-week commitment. I'm not even telling you 52. I'm not even telling you 35. I want you to go to your calendar, I want you to put it on your phone, and I want you to make sure that this year, starting now, 1st of June, I am in church 26 weeks this year. And I want you to tell me, because there's a lot of different measuring points, but that one will measure as well. I could give you different ones that'll scale. And if you say, if I'm going to church 20, minimum, minimum, 26 weeks this year, minimum, minimum, I'm going to beat the national average. You, go, you come to church 26 times, and you've just beat what, what the American Christian standard. You just beat the average American Christian just by coming to church half the time, 26 times in a year. 26 times? Really? Is it that hard to come to church? Think about that. 26 times in 365 days? Is it that torturous? Do not call my Sabbath a burden. 
Begin to call my Sabbath a delight. The Sabbath is the gathering, the resting place of God's people before him. That's what he's calling us to, is that place. We have to honor others. We have to see them from Jesus' perspective. We honor others by seeing them as Jesus sees them. So let's say an unbeliever comes to you. How do I see them? I see them as an unbeliever. I see them as so like what I'll do is like if, you're in a, like if I was in a work environment, here's what I would do, right? I'm in a different environment, but I do it all the time. I do it in the marketplace. Sometimes I don't. I missed it completely yesterday. <laughs> True confessions by Pastor Kevin. So I was at Everglades National Park yesterday with my wife. We walk around. We had an annual pass. Annual pass of Everglades National Park. So we go to Everglades and walk around because Sherry likes to look at the gators. She does. If the alligators get too close, Sherry, my wife will touch the gator. She will, and she will try to touch the gator on the nose. She doesn't even go for that. Am I right? She doesn't even go for the, she even go for the tail. Sherry's like, oh, I'm going to touch that gator. I'm like, you're not going to touch it. She's like, I'm going to touch it. I'm going to touch it. She, my wife, it's, what, anyway, it's another story. There was a guy there that um, uh, I could see he had some physical difficulties, and I, I wasn't strongly prompted, but I was prompted to, to pray for him. But I was so hot and so mis- I was hot and grouchy and everything, so I didn't do it. So true, dang, oh, thank you, the, the grace. But just to let you know. You know, Pastor, we don't hit it out of the park all the time, but I was just like, and I'm walking away, and Sherry Toe's on the way to the car. She's like, yeah, come on, let's go. And I'm just like, man, I felt like I should have prayed for that guy. But anyway, that's another story. But what I do is like, I'll look, like if I'll go to an environment like that, sometimes it'll be a prompt, sometimes it'll be like, Lord, what do you want to do here? Yeah? Some of you should look at your work environments and see yourself as a minister because you are. Doesn't mean you're the evangelist Billy Graham or whoever. It doesn't mean you need a 50-pound family Bible to testify of who you are, you just look at your work environment and say, Lord, what do you want to do here? Who do you want to reach? And you may identify someone. May ident- we'll use the name Jim again. He identifies Jim. See Jim sitting there. Okay, Lord, what do you want to do with Jim? I want you to be his friend. Ask him lunch. What if he says no? Well, then don't worry about it. Just ask him lunch. Ask him lunch. Go to lunch. What do you want to- now it's like, what do you want to do, Lord? What do you want to do? Well, I, want- I want you to be Jim's friend. I want you to listen to Jim. Honor creates access. So we're ministers. We see this person in light of who they are. Jim doesn't know Jesus, so that's my first thing. i got to realize this guy doesn't know Jesus. He might drink a beer at lunch, God forbid. He might cuss a little bit. You know, he may have some viewpoints that are not my own because Jim's an unbeliever, but I'm going to Jim. I'm gonna go to lunch with Jim. Right? I'm going to talk to Jim. I'm going to listen to Jim. What am I going to do? Well, the Lord told me to listen. And he may say, man, you just always seem like you got your life together. And if he doesn't do that, one of the ways that I, get, I can communicate with people is always through honor. Honor creates access, does it not? Say, Jim, I just want to tell you, man, you're like one of the most diligent workers that's here. I would, I'll notice something that's of value with him, finding the gold with him. You know, I notice that you are, you know, you have a picture of the family on the desk, man. I just notice you really value family. I think that's really cool that you value family like that. And you honor him. And what will end up happening is Jim will probably say, you have no idea I'm about to divorce my wife that's about to divorce me. Right? You, you never had no idea what's going to happen here. So when you're, when you're honoring someone, and like, if you, like if you look at your life in light of honor, and we look at looking at honoring other people, we're honoring them with the intent that God wants. So if the person is an unbeliever, I'm not looking at them to honor them. With, uh, I'm looking to be their friend. I'm looking to honor them in the manner by which the Lord would tell me. And the Lord would say, go to lunch with Jim and be his friend. What do you want me to do? I want you to listen to Jim. Jim's not saying anything. So the fallback is always honor. Honor him. Just bless him. It may, it may never end to that. It may just be like, and then eventually Jim may come around. It doesn't matter. You're just doing what God is saying. So God's intent is to reach the unbeliever. The way we honor each other, what's God's intent with us is that we edify, exhort, and provoke one another. So there should be honor among God's people. You should not leave here today without encouraging or honoring at least three or four people. <gasps> no. Pastor, I need the honor. That's all the more reason. In watering others, you water yourself. I didn't give the honor challenge to first service, but you should take the honor challenge. You should try to honor two to three people a week. Just, just for a week. Just this week. If you honor three people a week, you honor 21. What, is, what are you doing? You're just saying, hey, you know, whoever. I just think you really, you know, I just want to tell you that was one of the ways is gratitude. I want to tell you that I'm thankful for you. You always have a smile, and I'm just encouraged. I don't know, be sincere, be genuine. But I guarantee if you ask the Lord to show you how he sees that person, he's going to tell you. And it's like even this morning, we come together, and the Bible says we come together for mutual encouragement and exhortation, and we're to provoke one another to good works. You can do it, man. Get in there. Get in the game. You know, whatever. There's a, but there should be an encouragement. No one should ever leave church discouraged. And you all need to be intentional about encouraging and exhorting one another. It should be, thank you. It should be like gooey in here, you know? 
People shouldn't be like, oh, I'm so discouraged I'm going to church. They should be saying, I'm discouraged I'm going to church. You know? And you can walk out of here properly pumped. Like Arnold, we have pumped up. Yeah. You should get a pump every time you come to church. Not because of the teaching, but even from each other. We should encourage and exhort one another. We should do that. That's what it's all about. Why? Because that's God's intent. How do I encourage? Lord, how do you see this person? Lord, do you have something you want to say? Just ask the Holy Spirit, Christian. Lord, ask the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm looking around the room, I'm already getting reads on people. I'm like, say this. I'm like, I can't go there. But anyway, I, if you ask the Lord, he'll immediately tell you, Lord, how do you see this person? What do you see in them? Do you have a word for them? Yeah, I have a word for you. I just want to encourage you. I don't know what you're going through, but I feel like you're going to make it after all. I mean, I don't know. Find something. Be an encourager. Be an exhorter. And here's what people say. It's not my thing, pastor. It's Jesus' thing. Did you know that? This is what I tell you. It's Jesus' thing. Encourage one another while it is called today, the Bible says. Encourage and exhort. Your thing doesn't matter. Jesus' thing matters. So you need to take your thing and put it on the wayside, and you need to make your thing Jesus' thing. He wants us to encourage and exhort. It's a culture of honor. It's part of the kingdom. We can't talk about kingdom culture if we don't understand honor, honoring one another. Uh, I'm going to close up real quick. So the other areas of honor, so we honor, we honor ourselves. We honor the Lord, we honor ourselves, we honor one another intentionally and with attention. So in other words, if I'm going to honor you, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to look to honor someone, right? You, you want to know one of the ways I got into ministry? I guarantee you because the Lord saw me. I would go to church and I would be an assistant. And I would be working. I was one of the elders and I'd be working in these churches. And I would go there and I would be intentional about what I was doing. I didn't go there for any other reason other than to, to minister to people. And I was intentional about it. And the Lord goes, oh, there's somebody who cares about my people. There's somebody I can use. There's somebody I can use and equip. There's somebody I can. Most of the time we're all thinking about ourselves. What if you were like intentional? Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage Margie today. I'm going to encourage her. You know, what if I'm, I'm going to encourage Melvin today? You know, what if you're intentional about that? I'm going to exhort them, and I'm going to give them a word. I'm going to say, Melvin, you're so diligent. You're so faithful. You're very articulate. You're very quiet, but you're very faithful, and the Lord sees you. We want to th- and I want to thank you, and we want to bless you because of your faithfulness and your, your diligence and your steady hand. I want to honor you for that today. I got stuff for Margie, but I'll, Margie, you're outgoing, you're loving, you're very kind, you're very vivacious. I want to thank you for the presence that you bring to this church. I want to thank you for the friendships that you offer and extend yourself to. I want to honor you for that. I want to bless you for that. Sebastian, I want to honor you for your generosity and all of the kindness and the, just the, the lengths and the depths that I know you reach towards. And you're really hungry and you're really reaching for things in your life. And I want to honor you and I want to commend you for that. It's honor. Yeah. You feel the atmosphere, right? You can feel it in the air. Because it's the culture of the kingdom. You're manifesting, there you go, ecosystem, and the kingdom manifests within the culture of the ecosystem. And honor is part of it. That's part of the ecosystem. Mariah, you have been one of the, I could not have asked for a better daughter. You are an amazing daughter. I am so proud of the person that you have become. I am so proud of the woman that you are. I'm so proud of you in so many ways. You're smart, you're articulate, you're beautiful, you're kind, you're friendly, you're generous in every way. And as your father, I sing your praises. What did that cost me? Nothing. You know what it cost you? It cost you your dignity. Revival's cost with dignity. I, gotta, I, yeah, you, I look like an indignified fool by saying that stuff. You know, that's how you feel inside. But I didn't feel that way because I'm used to it. I've killed that man. You're not going to die. <laughs> die that Christ may live. You know? So we're supposed to honor one another. Honor the believer. Encouragement. Exhortion. You anybody know who John Wooden is? I'll just share this real quick. I, I got five minutes and I'm going to wrap this up. But uh, anybody know who John Wooden is? John Wooden? Basketball coach, right? You see? Shelly, who's John Wooden? UCLA basketball coach, right? Most winningest coach in NCAA college history. So I'm going to, I'm going to honor Shelly. Some of you guys don't know this about Shelly. Shelly was a Division I women's basketball player, so some of you didn't know that about her. <laughs> we were talking about competition over there. And, uh, as long, it's a funny thing. But anyway, I'll just show you how competitive she is. I said, what were you, Shelly? Were you like D2 division? Were you like Division II? And she goes... <laughs> she sticks that one. I said, oh, you're D1. Yeah, okay. She's Division one. So we want to encourage one another. We want to exhort each other. We want to find the goal. Shelly, I want to honor you. You are faithful. This church operates at a higher level because of the work that you put in. You are very efficient. You seek the higher good. You always want to go further. You're always looking for the best. You push, you push us towards excellence, and we want to honor you, and we want to commend you for that. 
I'm on a roll. <laughs> honor one another, exhort one another, encourage one another. We're supposed to honor our parents. I'm going to just do this little thing on children because this is kind of cool. I really wanted to share this. So we, we, we honor our parents. What we, you know, we just honor our parents. So I'm not going to get too deep into that, but let's just call this one out. We're going to honor our children. Well, how do we honor our children? It's really hard sometimes, right? Because kids don't always do. It's not, as a parent, I know how difficult it is to honor kids, particularly when you're trying to train them or trying to raise them up in the different seasons of their life. But we're supposed, to, we're supposed to honor our children. We're supposed to love our children. We're supposed to find what is best in that child and try to draw it out. That's what God wants. Love does not dishonor others. So here's a verse. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're older, they will not depart from it. So my daughter could tell you stories. She's returned to her training. Have you not? It's true, right? Mariah's story is a journey, right? She's raised with many, many things. She made choices that most people make, myself included, but she's returned to it because it becomes a value to her. When we train our children, they don't always retain, they don't always walk the path that we want them to in every season of life. But if you will train them in godliness, they will come back to it because that will become the anchor point. So what does it look to train? Listen, it's not that hard, ladies and gentlemen. How do we train our children? We give them to the Lord. First one is dedication. You give them to the Lord. You say, my kids are old. I never gave them to the Lord. Give them to them now. Lord, I just release my son, my daughter to you. Father, they're beyond my influence, but they are never beyond yours. Holy Spirit, I just release you. I know you love them more than I do. And so, Father, I just want to release them to you, and I want to dedicate them to you and offer them to you as your prize for your victory in Jesus' name. It's simple as that. You don't need maybe something ceremonial where we do it. You know, we do a prayer of dedication here, but you can do it just that way. The other thing that with the way that you train up a child is they rub the palate. In the ancient world, they would rub the palate of the baby or the child. They would rub the palate with date honey, and they would rub the palate with oil. It's just funny because they're actually doing a study on this right now. They find that, with, that babies in the Middle East are, have a lower hypoglycemic rate than, than babies in the West. One of the things they discovered is that they take dates and they rub it on the palate of the baby, right? For whatever reason, I, I don't know if it activates something in the body at that age or not, I don't know, but they rub date honey, not bee honey, honey from dates in particular, on the palate of the child. So there's actually literally a study going on trying to figure out why this is going on, but when this word train in the scripture, it means that to rub oil and honey on the palate. So as, a, as our parent, what does that mean? So the Bible would say honey because the book John ate, there's lots of references, but honey represents the word of God. The honeycomb, the book that he ate, oil represents the spirit. So what God is telling the parents is give your children, give, the, give them a taste for the things of the Lord. Give them a taste for the word and give them a taste for the things of the spirit. That's what the scripture is telling us. One of the things that we do with our children or that we can do with our children is not just give them to the Lord, but give them a, a taste for spiritual and scriptural things. And then lastly, the way that we train up our child, and the reason I want to say this because I know there's a lot of parents that like, help me. And the other one is lead them by the rope. That's what it means to train them. Sometimes you've got to lead these kids by the rope, right? If they're still under the age, they're not 18 years old or whatever, they're not some defiant teenager and you still have control over them, lead that child by the rope. We're going to church. I don't want to, Dad. We're going to church. You know, whatever, however you lead them, but lead them by the rope if necessary. Well, we don't want to, start, we don't want to hurt the child's feelings. That's not what the scripture is telling us to do, right? <laughs> well, that's American culture. We don't want to hurt the child's feelings. We have principals apologizing and teachers apologizing for unruly children. It's amazing. I'm sorry. Your child screamed and yelled, turned the, turned the desk over and lit the gar garbage can on fire, and the teacher's the one apologizing. This is where we are, you know? It's like, but that's another story. We're, don't get me started. It's spiritual leaders. So we're supposed to honor our spiritual leaders. So let me give you some simple how-tos. So the Bible says, those who teach you, those who rule over you, those who could teach and rule you from the house of God, let them be attributed with double honor. Let them give the double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. doesn't mean you have to agree with me. But you have to respect the position that I hold. I say things that I'm sure many of you don't agree, but I'm not trying to say things from my perspective. And then also the people that labor here, children's workers, they labor with your children. In word and doctrine, the worship team, they labor, they come, they give, they, they pour themselves out. Honor them, you know? Honor the people that, put people, that people are put in front of you. Just had a, an incident this week, and it, it, the issue would have been resolved if all the person would do was just respect the construction that was being brought to them. But they couldn't bring themselves to, the, to respect the instruction that was being brought to them by spiritual leaders. I'm like, just listen. All you got to do is listen. 
Nothing, there's nothing difficult here. Just do this, and, but that's another story. I got a lot of other stories today. So here's just some simple things, simple how-tos, and we're going to pray, and we're going to end. Say thank you. It's how we honor each other. Just look and be intentional with thank you. Somebody does something for you or somebody blesses you in some way, just say, hey, I just want to thank you. Just that's a simple way of honoring people, gratitude. Pray for people, right? Be, be prayerful. Pray for one another. You, you can honor me in no greater way than to pray for me. <laughs> Samuel said, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by not praying for you. Praying for one another is a great honor. When people say, I've been praying for you, I'm like, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You know, that's a great honor. Say, well, I just want to let you know, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Wonderful. Pray good things. Don't pray bad things. Oh, just pray it out. No, I'm just kidding. kidding. Be forgiving. Be merciful and kind. You know why? Because we're all broken. Everybody's dealing with battles you can't see. Be merciful to people. Be kind to each other. You know, it's easy to be judgmental. Trust me. If you want to get judgmental, you can get there real quick. If you want to be critical, you can get, and we all agree, we can get, it's way easier to get critical than it is to be honoring. It's way easier to be condemning than it is to be blessing or to be uplifting. You know, so let's get there. Let's change this. Just like, just take that. Bless people with gifts and words and actions of intention. Bless people with stuff. I love to give stuff away. I love it. Haven't had that chance lately. Like, give me something, Pastor. I love to give stuff away. I'm always giving stuff away. I love giving stuff away. Just to honor people. Just bless them. It's just an easy and simple way. So let's, let's take the honor challenge. Let's try to encourage and honor people three times a day. I've hit my quota. I just hit my quota. So just let you know. <laughs> so let's stand up. Let's pray this prayer. And if you're at home, pray this with us. This is a declaration. We're just going to make a declaration here. Say this. I will honor the Lord in every way. Because it is right, I will seek to honor and build up others, including myself. I will not tear down with my words. I will not tear down with my actions or my thoughts. I will speak and act with the voice of healing and hope into the lives of those around me. I will speak and I will act in unity and never in division. I will declare blessing over my church and over her pastors. I will honor my household and all the members thereof. I will honor my work environment and I will honor all and I will contribute honor to every person, place, or thing that I encounter. I will be part of the solution and not of the part of the problem. I will use honor as an aspect of virtue, and I will cultivate the ecosystem of virtue in my life in order that the kingdom of my Father would manifest in my world. Do you believe that? Amen. All right. God loves you. I'm going to bless you one more time. We do have a prayer team available. Let me bless you one more time. The Lord, just receive it. This, what, do you, what do you do when I do this? You just go like this. Yes, Jesus. Right. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. We bless you. Prayer is available.